you are you're really yeah yeah uh, magic no magic and theater no just theater okay no i just i i say things that other people wrote and then i get praise <laughs> you know that's not really how it works most of the time people are like you're terrible most of the time people are like <laughs> you're saying it wrong you should say it this way yeah, instead that's, that's really how theater actually works Hi, this is Cody Daigleorians. This is Neil Daigleorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. This is my NPR voice. <laughs> this would be my NPR voice. Oh my god. Did You're you like so it? so good at that. Yeah. It's, it's like kind it? of upsetting, actually, how good Next, you are. Next, on all things considered, queer. All queer things considered. You should see his lips because he's like over lip syncing to his own voice. Well, no, that's that's like just like actor diction or singer diction. Actor diction. Yeah, you gotta do that. Especially when you're, like when, when you're singing, you gotta do that. That's my diction. Yeah. So... <laughs> All right, that's yeah, that's a good way to start. Let's let's do yeah. So this week, um, we are uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the gay rights movement as a whole because uh, we're coming up on a really interesting anniversary. Uh, next week on June twenty sixth, we are going to be celebrating one year of. Uh, marriage equality uh, throughout the country the supreme court decision came down a year ago and uh, we are going to just be taking a look at uh, where we are post-marriage equality uh, and uh, and just kind of what we think about where we're headed a year after this like really big win for the lgbt community hey can you do me a favor can you say can you be like can you believe it's already been a year can you believe it's already been a year you ruth bader believe it (laughs) There you go. That's that was a good setup. Neil I'm glad that stealing happened. jokes from uh, Futurama. Since I'm glad. I'm 1993. Really glad that happened. Yeah. So, um, if we just take a look back, one year ago, we, we the two of us actually were in Omaha at the time, and we were uh, we were I was hanging out at Neil's mom's place because we were on vacation in Omaha for a little bit. We were on quote unquote vacation. Yeah, it was just like a visit, a home visit. And uh, marriage equality happened, and it was kind of a, and it, for me, it was an interesting moment because when we arrived in Omaha, we were legally not married in that state, and I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning, and we were legally married mm-hmm. in Omaha, and that felt like a really cool and a really big deal. It's nice that in, in spite of state laws, my mom still let us sleep in the same bed. Yeah, that that's was right. Nice of her. Right, because we, we were married in some states at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, we were married in some states. We were states. married in some states and also the guest bedroom at my mom's house. <laughs> yes, we were, in fact. Um, and now we're a year away and we're, we're about to be celebrating this big moment, this moment when sort of the, the rallying cry and the, the, the hashtag or catchphrase of that victory was love wins. Like, we won. We won, we won, we won. Love reigned supreme and was immensely victorious and now here we are a year later and from my vantage point it doesn't seem much like we won i mean yes we won marriage equality but we're also looking at a year in which we've seen an incredible increase in anti-lgbt legislation around the country states all over the country including like states like massachusetts which you wouldn't expect because they've been so lgbt friendly for years ahead of marriage equality. 
the trans community has been subjected to like this really heinous hate campaign about restrooms and public bathrooms. Uh, they've been treated in the same way that, I mean, I feel like we haven't really seen since like the beginning of the AIDS crisis when gay people were sort of were, became pariahs and, you know, we don't want you in restaurants. We don't want you in public spaces. We don't want to share any kind of public space with you. And also, like in the 70s, with the Briggs Initiative to get gay teachers out of schools, because if you have a gay teacher in your school, they're going to be pedophiles. They're going to harm the community. The, the trans community in, with concern to bathrooms is now being treated the exact same way. And we're still mourning the loss of 49 people who died in the mass shooting at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando, which is, um, although people have a lot of feelings about why that thing happened, it's very clear that uh, anti-LGBT bias is core to why that happened in that space and to those people so i guess the first question to talk about is um like why have we seen such a terrible year post such an important victory well i think um it's worth looking at like um it's worth looking at the civil rights movement in the 60s and the 70s and seeing what happened after major legislation was passed then. Um, it, because after moments of progress, there tends to be some very violent backlash. Um, it's just kind of what happens. It's just how people react for whatever reason. So, like, after, I mean, after um, segregation was made illegal, like terrible things still happen and there was like militias involved in, in helping a child go to school and things like that um so so like we see this and we see we see it as a as a very um god i want to say patternistic but that's definitely not a word but it, the, there are patterns that you can trace there are definitely um dots that you can connect between moments of progress and moments of tension and moments of violence um it's super super unfortunate but it's also super super true it's just it's just a thing that happens um because that's how people react um so it sucks that we had a really great win that triggered all of this but at, on the other on the other side of the coin we have um we have gay people being rallied again in a way that they weren't passionate about since marriage equality um, because of the pulse shooting. Now, granted, whether or not their energies are focused on the right thing is is another question entirely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I, comple I completely agree with you because uh, I know that post-marriage equality, my response was okay, all right, good, now we can deal with all the other things. Now we can do all the other important things and all the other problems because this isn't an end game. And, and there, was, there was something about it that reminded me also, uh, not just the civil rights movement, but reminded me of the discussions we had post uh, Obama being elected president the first time. Oh, yeah, that we were, racism we were post, was over. Ra ra like, Obama's elected president, racism is over. That the big emotional uh, win that you receive sort of blinds you to the fact that it's it's really not... Marriage equality was never an end game. It was one stop on the road that we were still, that we were still traveling. And... But it felt so good and it was so joyful and, you know, like the White House turned itself rainbow and everything was everything felt so great. It felt like we we did it. We got to the other side of it. And um, I just feel like if, if you have any I agree, if you have any if you're aware at all of how history operates or, or how other 
movements like ours have existed, you couldn't look at marriage equality and think that we were done mm -hmm. because their marriage equality didn't really even affect everybody in the community as a whole. Well, I think what people forget too is that um, while change does happen very rapidly and also very largely, it's it's also an incremental thing and they work hand in hand mm -hmm. where there are, there are very, very big wins such as marriage equality nationwide. Um, but before then there were the smaller wins like marriage equality in the States um, in like states popping up like Iowa, like mm -hmm. Iowa legalized, they were like third or fourth yeah. in the nation. And people were just early. like, what? It's right. Iowa. But people don't really realize that I was actually a very liberal state mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Um, but um, the, those little those little rules and then the, the city of Omaha passing, it's equal. Um, so Omaha is the only place in Nebraska where you can't be fired uh, for your sexuality or gender expression, whereas the rest of Nebraska, um, you can. Um, so there, there are those like little moments of change. And then like this big moment of change also helps shape a culture, um, mm -hmm. and shape visibility and, and shape how we see, um, queerness and how we, um, how we engage with it and how, um, young people engage with this. So then they're growing up with different ideas, um, in the same sense that like I grew up with different ideas about race than you grew up with ideas with race. And it's just because that's how culture works. Like big, big changes do create those incremental changes as well. Yeah, and I think I think that that's also an important point to to hit on too. That these big changes are are also viewed and experienced by everyone differently. I mean, I think we as members of the LGBT community saw marriage equality and just believed it as a universal good. But there are many many people in this country who saw that in a completely different way because their life and experience makes them see LGBT people in an entirely different way. So there's this, this one of the organizations that has continued to fight marriage equality for the last year is like an, they're an Arizona based um, organization called Alliance Defending Freedom because that's, you know, right. That's, that's the most, they all generic, sound like that. That yeah. is the most generic name you could have. Right. Cause we can't say we hate facts. Um, Although the, because the Westboro Baptist, that because the Westboro Baptist, oh, they already did that. No, but, that's um, already copyrighted. Right. Like you can't just have your, your nonprofit, be like, please donate to Let's Hate Facts. Um, no homos of 501c3. So here's a there was there's an article about this, like looking back over the year. And Kristen Wagoner, who is the Alliance's senior vice president of legal advocacy, she, this is a quote that she had that she was quoted as in the article. The Supreme Court decision has sharply increased the polarization of our culture. It's not just about marriage. It's about silencing any dissent and basically ridding our culture and marketplace of those who disagree. Yikes. Right. And so for those people who don't believe in the inherent goodness of equality to for LGBT people, see it as them being silenced and th like they see themselves as the persecuted in this situation that the that the the, the equality that's being offered to people who never had it before um, somehow marginalizes them. And that is uh, that that's, to me is that's I, I understand that as a as a huge component of why we've had such a bad year. Yeah, and that's also a very white mindset. Like it really that is, is very like, much a white mindset. And like 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 that's not even like necessarily a dig at whiteness. It's just that's how white people are kind of raised and socialized to believe that that we um, have a certain set of privileges. And like of course it makes sense that it's also like straight people, womp womp, um, because they're they're socialized to believe a certain thing about sexuality. And when something as big as marriage equality happens, 
and basically says no like it's equal like you can't have separate and equal institutions like Mm -hmm. we've already established that so we're going to just have everybody under the same institution like it's just it's just funny It's it's just funny that that people try so hard to find ways to be persecuted yeah People who have no reason to be per- who have no reason to feel persecuted try so hard to feel persecuted, and I feel like I do that too. So, well, I think that's because when you when when you feel like when you feel like other when other people who when people who are legitimately persecuted are then being are being given equality or being are, are having that persecution and discrimination lessened. When you are not one of those people, it looks like they're getting something you're not. It looks like they're being treated better than you are. And, and in reality, you, you're just getting treated the same yeah, way suddenly. I can sort of understand in some weird, twisted way how you can look at, at LGBT people being afforded more equality in the culture and say, well, that's not fair. I want to be treated fairly, too, even though you have literally been treated fairly all the time Mm -hmm. so you want to find of course you would go and try to find a way to to share that experience of persecution so that you can get the same kind of treatment too yeah Mm -hmm. sure straight white people want to feel persecuted because it will help them get back to the place where they feel like they're getting what they deserve Mm -hmm. which is what they already have which is kind of everything yeah and it's it's just yeah (laughs) so I kind of wanted to like, because one of, and this is my feeling, I don't like ask it as a question because I'm, it's framing a rhetorical question, but I certainly have been feeling, especially in the last week, that to some degree, the LGBT and the, uh, the gay rights movement has veered a little off track. Uh, and this is why. In response to the Orlando shooting, uh, the human rights or the human rights campaign, the HRC, which is ubiquitously known uh, they're the yellow equal sign on the blue field, and their their presence in LGBT advocacy has been uh, pretty significant and very high profile for most of the last, like, I guess, decade or so. It also confuses me when people talk about the HRC because um, they're a modestly modestly conservative mm-hmm. gay rights yeah. movement, and then people abbreviate it, but they're actually talking about Hillary Rodham Clinton, oh, yeah, who's yeah. also modestly conservative, yeah. and I'm like, who are you talking about? So the HRC, in in response to Orlando, has announced a shift in their focus as an organization. And maybe not a shift is the wrong word. Maybe just like an addendum or or a, a, a pivoting is a good way to put it about, about their, their mission. And they announced this week that they are going to take on the NRA as part of their mission as an organization. Because there aren't any homeless queer youth or or employment discrimination or housing discrimination or trans people being or immigration rights or or immigration or the specific challenges of queer people of color, which don't match white queer people's experiences. We need to take on big guns. Right. And and. What they're saying, uh, Chad Griffin, who is the president of the Human Rights Campaign, says it is imperative that we address both issues in order to mitigate safety risk to our community. So basically, they're framing it as we're going to we're going to add the NRA in our mission to protect LGBT people or to serve LGBT people because it's going to minimize their safety risk. And 
I've, I've seen a lot of people in social media land, both on Twitter and on Facebook, kind of share this in a celebratory way. Like, yeah, we're going to take down the NRA now because we can do anything because we took down marriage inequality. So watch out, NRA. We're coming. And I, I feel like it's completely wrong-headed. The HRC is coming for the edges of the NRA. Like, basically, I feel like it's completely <laughs> wrongheaded because there are so many things that directly impact LGBT people that need to be done by organ by advocacy organizations. I mean, like, on one hand, like, yes, that's true. But on the other hand, there's, there's also something that it's like... Not every organization, not every organi- organization can solve every problem. So, I think I think it is incredibly problematic that a organization as loud and as visible as the HRC is doing something like that. I think it is wrong. But also, I recognize that organizations can do that because they can't fix every single problem. You know, like like I under like I understand that. Um, there should be some sort of queer anti-gun, anti mm-hmm. like like not anti-gun but like pro-gun tr- control organization. Like that totally should exist, and there should be that like that queer conversation within that, and that talking about like, hey, this actually really deeply affects our community. Um, and I just don't think the HRC should be doing that. They should be doing something. Yeah. And in like, I think I think it's really hard to say. It's really hard to say. Well, this problem is more important than this problem because. You can have that conversation all day. You can be like, well, um, children starving is more important than homeless children who can eat. And like, well, in that case, this is more important than that. And I feel like that's just an endless cycle of like, you can say that somebody else's problem is more important than yours. Well, but I don't, I don't necessarily see it as a frame of, I don't see it framed as there, there are issues that are more important. It feels to me like a misplacing of energy and focus like there are organizations that currently exist to fight the problem of gun violence in america Mm -hmm. why does the hrc need to include that mission as part of no they definitely don't when they could just support existing organizations whose sole purpose is to do that Mm -hmm. like queer people can exist within that organization and the hrc can directly address the concerns of lgbt people all lgbt people because that's what you exist to do yeah and and like it could be as simple as just like a board member on the HRC is also a board member for yeah. uh, gun control or or like something like that where like where like HRC's presence is just made known at those gun control organizations and people are like oh the queers are here, um, so like totally and like I I do think I do think that there is a need for a queer voice within that conversation and I do think that it's inappropriate that HRC is trying to put its hat into that, but I mean HRC hasn't exactly had a very great run in regards to like actually addressing the needs of queer people like like they haven't and they they, they've been very loudly criticized for their lack of diversity in their actual organization itself they've been very loudly criticized for um the lack of respect and dignity that they give to trans people within within their organization and events and things like that and the lack of um the lack of actual advocacy they do for trans rights. <clears throat> so for them to do this, it's not really a big surprise. It's not really a big surprise for me. It's it's disappointing and it's upsetting because Chad Griffin seemed to have been starting to take yeah. the organization onto the right way. And it seems like a very impulsive 
Yes, it does feel very impulsive. Pun intended. Um, it, it feels very, yeah, it just feels very like, um, like it's the first thing that he thought of. He's like, I have to do this. Yeah. And there was no second idea. Well, and, and you know, the HRC has also been roundly criticized for being uh, focused on issues that primarily affect more affluent white gay men like it has been an organization that whose whose spokespeople and and the focus of their advocacy has mostly impacted positively the lives of of affluent white gay men and it feels like there's something about this that feels a little uh, i said in i said at some point that it it was kind of like empty nest feeling like it was some <laughs> empty nest activism like the hrc has uh we did marriage equality, and that was the thing that we really cared about very deeply. But that has gone—that's gone off to college now. It's left home and gone off to college, and we need to find something to fill in the space. And instead of going back and looking and saying, you know, we really have to change the way trans people are treated. We really have to focus on queer homelessness. We really have to change the way that queer people of color, because they are—they are, like, statistically more uh, negatively impacted by by things like hate crimes and violence than 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 white gay folks are we need to go and address those things it found like an empty nest project you know it, it bought it bought the camaro so that it could you know the, it bought the convertible so that it could drive around town in Lagool because the kids gone off to college because it's flashy and it'll keep them relevant to to, to the large conversation and during winter break uh marriage equality is coming home and she's bringing back her black boyfriend <laughs> Oh no, HRC! Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, that's, that's—I mean—that's what it feels like to me. No, that's that's a really—I think that's a really smart analogy. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that is what it feels like. And there, there are organizations whose sole purpose was to get marriage equality. Um, and when it did pass, like I saw a bunch of articles about these organizations who were just like, "Okay, we're just gonna like finish up our paperwork, and then everybody's just gonna have to find new jobs because we're done." Well, that there's—I was actually gonna talk about that specific organization in this part of the conversation. That's that organization is Freedom to Marry. It was run yeah. by Evan Wolfson, and yeah, I was so disappointed that they, Freedom to Marry, did such an incredible job of advocating for marriage equality, and they built up a huge bunch of donors, and they built up this wonderful support system, and they had this great, like, powerful lobbying mm -hmm. and advocacy system set in place and marriage equality happened and they just took their toys and went home and it's like i understand that your goal was marriage equality but you have this incredible system to advocate for lgbt people can't you are you literally saying to me that that's the only thing that matters well what does that look like though like like how do you take how do you take an organization that has such a very specific goal and even in its branding has a very specific goal and then once it meets that goal like, how do you continue from there within that same organization? Like, you would require not only rebranding, but a remission statement. And, like, I don't even know, in terms of, like, 501c3 nonprofit world, I don't even know the logistics of that. Um, I don't know. It just, seems, it just seems harder than just being like, okay, let's go on to the next thing. And, like, I guess you could, I guess you could argue that there were other marriage related things that they could do because there are lots of there's still plenty of like immigration mm -hmm. there's plenty of immigration issues when it yeah. comes to marriage especially within same-sex marriages um 
so yeah, I don't. Well, I think you, the freedom to marry could have morphed into, or I mean, and, and this may be just just me not understanding how giant nonprofits can actually work, but it seemed well. Then you can start to to advocate for the rights that are due to married couples and the way that they are going to be treated and the diversity of married couples. Like you don't just get married and then all your, your LGBT problems are gone. Mm-hmm. LGBT couples who are married are still going to face discrimination out in the world employment in a lot of different ways. Right. Housing. So you can throw that behind employment, non-discrimination and, and housing non-discrimination because those couples could get turned away at their jobs in places where there are no protections just because they got married and that actually bore out post-marriage equality there were people who lost their jobs because they went and got married mm-hmm. you can get kicked out of the house or the apartment that you're renting because you're gay because you're gay and married because you're gay married and so you they could have advocated for they could have advocated on issues that literally do help every lgbt person instead of just those that want to marry I mean that's fair. So, I mean that was just my feeling. Where's Where's freedom to marry for for the 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 poor bear triads who want to get married together? Oh God, that's a whole other. That's another. Episode. Are we not okay? <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. Never mind. <laughs> um, and then and then like another sort of a tangent in this this uh, going off off track a little bit and kind of springing off the NRA conversation. Uh, I also saw an article that. Um, was shared a lot by the New York Times that shared some information about LGBT hate crimes. Well, oh. hate actually hate crimes in general. And trying, I think what they were attempting to do is contextualize um, how, contextualize the, the event in Orlando in a larger spectrum of hate crimes in the country and how the, the trends in the country. And the article title is LGBT people are more likely to be targets of hate crimes than any other minority group. And so the, the asterisk, de- well, right. Which I have, I feel like on Facebook, every time I see somebody share it, I'm, I'm commenting the con, the asterisk. You're the content, asterisk. Um, you because I think it's, and paste it onto I a think Word it's document. incredibly important, but what it does, what it, the, the data does find is that LGBT people are more likely than other group minority groups to be they they have been more often the target of hate crimes. Now the hate crimes that the way that it sort of bears out though, um, hate crimes are not always deadly, so they're people aren't always killed in them, and. So they could be like, you know, getting beaten up or things, which are, which is horrible. It's not diminishing that those things are horrible, but LG, LGBT people do experience those more often. And those, the statistics that the, the New York Times specifically were dealing with did not include property incidents. It was just about your person. And so I felt like a lot of people were sharing it. And, and I would say, cause we, we like to call out the white gay people all the time. A lot of the people sharing this and going like, see, see, it's really hard out there to be gay. We're white gay men. Mm-hmm. They were like, see, it's really hard. We are we are in more danger than anybody else. Mm-hmm. When you look at the data, though, the data actually has a very different story. There's a very different story in there. Um, it also breaks down LGBT homicides by race and sexuality. LGBT, pe- LGBT people who are killed in a hate crime. And overwhelmingly... The number of queer people of color who are killed in an LGBT hate crime uh, outnumber, it's like six or seven to one white people 
Mm-hmm. And sorry, but the Orlando shooting skews those numbers in in a huge way toward queer people of color. Yeah. So that while, you know, and the reason I feel they're connected, the push to include the NRA into our big gay movement mission feels like it's it's a very white centered mission. Mm-hmm. Like we're big gay and we're going to fight the NRA ignores the fact big gay big, versus well, big yeah. gun right it ignores the fact that to be queer and a person of color in the lgbt community is significantly more dangerous mm-hmm. um 11 so in all of the homicides uh 11 of them 11 of the homicides were white gay men everything else and it, it's over it's all it's like it's over 70 so it is kind of like seven to one um are all queer people of color the largest group were black trans women mm-hmm. and so i feel like the people who were sharing that going it's really super scary to be to be gay out there and if you're a white man i kind of want to go it's actually not really that scary for you because you are the least likely to be the victim you're the least likely yeah. victim i mean i i will say um not that this makes me an expert at all it's probably going to make my my statement even less potent, but I wrote a, a um, research paper in high school on hate crime legislation. <laughs> no, but um, when I was doing research, uh, the hardest part about it, and like this was this was back when very little hate crime legislation even existed. Um, but one of the hardest part about talking about hate crimes and gathering data on hate crimes is that hate crimes are specifically and only um, determined as such based on motivation and that is one of the hardest things to pinpoint in in terms of like actually hard data it's hard it's unless somebody like is stabbing you and calling you a faggot like it's really really hard to say like this was a hate crime this was motivated purely because of sexuality so like that even makes that makes everything even more fuzzy um and i feel like that those numbers would actually be even higher um Mm -hmm. if we could actually somehow figure out a way to actually figure out motivations and like that's kind of one of the big arguments about the shooter um, not to get tangential, but like one of the big arguments is that people keep arguing whether or not it was actually his motivation. It's like clearly it was, but like it's so hard to actually pinpoint that unless like there's some sort of signed affidavit, which who does that? Um, so like hate crimes are really, really hard to talk about and really, really hard to research as a result. Um, but I'm almost certain that like there are even more, um, there would, there would be even more numbers to look at if we could somehow mm-hmm. pinpoint a little bit better. But we can't. Yeah. Like we, we yeah. just can't. There's no possibility of that. But there is a part of me that feels like even if we had better and more realistic numbers, they would still bear out. Oh, totally. In 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 the way that it is more dangerous to be queer and a person of color or queer. Honestly, and trans. eleven was more than I expected. <laughs> yeah, like that was more than I expected. I was surprised that it was that many. And I think what what sort of in and in the in this post Orlando week that has really uh, been on my mind a lot is is that there seems to be some kind of blinder up for a large segment of the of the LGBT community to in considering the fact that to be white and gay is a is a wholly different experience in the world mm-hmm. than to be latino and queer or black and queer well that just speaks upon whiteness itself because yeah. white people white straight people have the same exact experience yeah. and it's and I feel like I mean I'm looking at the same articles that everybody's sharing, and I'm seeing 
the information. And it's, it's, it's painfully clear to me that we have to, we have to be more cognizant of, of, of the dangers of being a queer person of color for our community. Like if, if we are going to really work to get to help our community, we have to recognize that they're experiencing more discrimination and potentially, well, not potentially, but like legitimately more danger than we are. And we have to do something. We have to like help fix that situation somehow. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. You know, I feel like most people have, have framed this almost exclusively as, as Orlando was just about gayness. And I don't feel that it, you know, it's not entire, that's not the entire story. Most of those people, I, I read an article that most of the people were from, uh, were Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole community of Puerto Rican queer people who are mourning this in a completely different way than we are. Yeah. They're, they've lost people in a different way. And they've also, because they've also experienced this country in a different way. Well, and like the, the way I think that it, that I connect with that is that, my experience with this shooting is so much different from my straight friends. Yeah. So like, of course there's also a difference between my experience with it and, and uh, queer Puerto Ricans experience with it. Like, of course there's a difference. Mm. And like, I can acknowledge that because I can also, I can also acknowledge and see how different the morning is for my straight friends. And I can only imagine how difficult this experience would be for queer Muslims. Yeah. I mean, because they have uh, the, the Muslim community has been, has been so maligned in this last week to be queer and Muslim must be an, like an incredibly, this must be a, the worst possible week. Yeah. It's, I, I have some friends back home who have been talking exactly about that experience and they're trying to find each other and they're trying to find out who knows and like who can help be an ally in those situations. Um, and there, it, it doesn't seem fun at all. Yeah. Like it, it, it seems like, like incredibly alienating. Yeah. And, you know, like, I feel like we always we always do this because we want to make sure that people know that we're aware. We understand that we're two white guys talking about the experiences of queer people of color as though they as though we kind of understand them or that. And we don't. And we don't. And and I certainly don't want to want anybody to feel like we are saying, well, this is how people of color feel because I I don't understand how they feel about this. I mean, I've I've tried to read their voices and I've tried to gather as much um, experience, like I've tried to read as much from queer people of color who are writing about what's going on to kind of understand what their community is saying, but we we're not speaking for the community. I think and we're if just anything, acknowledging that yeah. we understand there's a difference. Yeah, and that, and and if anything, I, I feel like we're trying to speak to to white queer people who maybe haven't thought about it and who maybe have been thinking all this time since since last year that love won. And everything's cool, and now you're married in your house, and everything's rad. Well, everything's not rad for the members of our community, and that's the next bearded fruit shirt. Everything is not rad. <laughs> I mean, it isn't. And you know, those of us who who benefit from from certain kinds of privilege, and particularly whenever the the gay right, the, when the movement has won more privilege for us, I feel like it's incredibly important for us to educate ourselves as much as we can on those members of the community who don't have those same privileges and who are still suffering and who are still being challenged by, by systems that are radically unfair and, uh, and to make sure that we keep our focus on advocating for the community and not get wrapped up in, not get wrapped up in other fights. I mean, we can still care about guns. I think we absolutely have to do something about them, but go out and seek an organization whose sole mission is doing that and put your money there and get your money behind those people who have been doing this for years. Uh, support them. Yay. Yeah. So, 
on that note <laughs> preachiness yeah whatever um happy rainbows and unicorns yeah. yeah um so so that's all queer things considered <laughs> well not all just the white queer things all white queer things considered yay um, as always we really really appreciate all the support uh that our listeners give us thank you so much if you like what we're doing please go over to itunes or go to uh, get on your android device and subscribe to the podcast you can also leave us a review or some stars that helps us out you can head over to facebook and find us at bearded fruit or you can find us on the web at www.beardedfruit.com and as always, we really thank you for listening. Share the podcast in your circles, and we'll see you next week. Diction.